0: We are starting a new five-week series called Crazy Christians. And in this five-week series, there are mature themes that Paul has to deal with. Uh, There are mature themes that Paul has to deal with because in the Corinthians church, there was all kinds of crazy things happening. So I share that with you. It has been requested that when there are mature themes, I give that caveat, and so I want you to be Aware of that for the next five weeks as we deal with some crazy things in the scripture. Why do we do that? Well, I am passionate about reading and, and walking through and exegeting the entirety of Scripture because all scripture is God breathed. And we can't skip over difficult passages or passages that make us squeamish. We we have to deal with the whole totality of the Word of God, amen. 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 Well, let us turn to prayer, and then we will open our scriptures to 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for who you are. We thank you for your love, the love that sent Jesus to the cross. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open up our hearts and open up our minds, open up our ears and our eyes to see what you are saying to us this morning. I pray that we will not just learn something new, but that we will become someone new. For your word is active and breathing and challenging, encouraging, and life-changing. In your name, amen. Amen. How many of you in the room remember the great website called MySpace? Yeah? Yeah, those of us who are 90s children will remember MySpace. Before Facebook happened, MySpace happened. And MySpace didn't last very long compared to Facebook because Facebook is still in existence. But when I was a a youth pastor beginning in youth ministry, Facebook did not exist. Woo, you're old. (laughs) Yeah, well, I am, right? Some of you lived in an era where computers didn't exist. You're older than me. Just saying. Just saying. But we have with this idea of MySpace. It was very similar to Facebook. And, you know, teenagers were just going after MySpace. And it was very image-based, video-based. And, and you could comment on people's stuff. And you can comment on their page. And so it was the space that I created as a youth pastor. I, we, our church, our youth group, had a MySpace. We were on the cutting edge of the Internet. It was fantastic. Well, all of our teens had MySpace as well and they would share their MySpace page and you'd go and you'd interact with what they were doing in their lives. I mean, it was like Instagram. It was that big of a deal, right? Millions of teenagers all across the globe were having a MySpace. Well, I would go and I would interact with my students on their MySpace because it was the thing to do. That's how you were relevant as a youth pastor at that time. And One of the things that blew my mind was the crazy things that people put on their Facebook or their MySpace or their Twitter or their Instagram. You just look and you say, why would you do that, right? I had one student, she was a a young lady in our youth group, and I went to go interact on her MySpace, I had never been there before, and immediately semi-nude pictures of herself showed up. I turned it off, and I went right to one of our female leaders, and I said, Can you please check out this MySpace? Is it all like that? What's happening with this student? She was an elder's daughter, which, you know, there's a little bit of a higher standard. Not always should be the case, but I was shocked. And my female leader went on the MySpace and said, It is bad. And I knew immediately what I had to do was talk to her parents. Her parents were not on MySpace. They had no idea what MySpace was. And so I alerted the student and said, I'm going to talk to your parents today. Our female leader shared with me everything that's going on on your page. And it just can't happen. So I brought her parents into my office. And I had the female leader pull up the MySpace and show the mom and dad what was on this MySpace page. I was thinking that they would take their daughter and encourage her to take these things down, that they would challenge her to live a new life. He's an elder after all. And in this meeting, I was shocked. I, as I shared this with the elders and I said, hey, this, you need to be aware, of, or the elder and his wife, I just want to make you aware of this. And immediately the mom and the dad began to make excuses. They said to me, well, you know, she had bo- bad body image in middle school, so we're actually glad that she's proud of her body. I don't know if this shocks you, but I was blown away. They were making excuses for this whole thing, and I, I was absolutely confused. I said, well, hold on a second. This is not a, a good thing. Yes, okay, yes, I, I'm glad that she feels good about herself, but this is not the way to display it. And in the end, they did nothing absolutely nothing. And I was shocked. Well, as I share that story, that's a crazy Christian story to me. And how do you deal with that? Because that's not just a one and done thing. As a pastor, I've seen Christians do crazy things. I've seen sin that has not been dealt with. And, And as believers, we have to try and challenge one another. But Challenging sin is sometimes difficult, it's unfun, because sin is hard to deal with, so we try to ignore it. We make excuses for our sin, we make excuses for the sin of others, and Paul, in this passage, challenges us deeply to deal with sin. Our own sin and our corporate sin the sin of our brothers, the sin of our sisters, and he challenges us with a deep, deep challenge. I don't know why sin is sometimes easy to sweep under the rug. I don't know why in many American churches they don't talk about sin anymore. Right, But when you come to passages of Scripture that deal with sin, you have to deal with it. And we have to challenge one another in a loving way holding each other accountable. In that meeting with an elder, now remember, I was just a youth pastor. I wasn't the lead pastor. I called the elder out, and I said, you can't excuse sin in your life or your daughter's life. I said, I, I can't make you do anything, but this is wrong. And that didn't make any friends for me on the elder board. <laughs> but it didn't matter. We have to hold each other accountable accountable because God placed accountability in our lives to help ensure holy living. God placed accountability in our lives to help ensure holy living. Now, you and I, we can't live holy in and of ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to give us the empowerment to push away our sins, to confess and repent of our sins. But we have to be honest with our sins. When we are held accountable, it's not for the sake of being beaten down, but it's for the sake of holy living. In the church of Corinth, this was a crazy place. They were dealing with crazy and wild things, and Paul had to deal with crazy Christians. So the question we have to see for ourselves today is, how do we deal with crazy Christians? Ourselves and others who find themselves in crazy spaces. So 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8 says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Not a fun passage to deal with. I preach this message with trepidation because it is... A really awkward thing to talk about. But Paul talks about it. He's talking about a very specific situation that came to him through a letter from the church in Corinth where it was told to him what was happening within the church. Someone who was concerned about their church and their congregation wrote a letter to him and shared with him all the crazy, wild things that were happening in this church. We have to remember this. One of the most important things when we come to an epistle is that this is a letter written to the church. It is written for the church. It is written to challenge the church in and of itself. He's not looking outside of the church, into the world at this point. This was a letter of rebuke, a letter of challenge to the church themselves. And they were allowing this to happen in their congregation. This portion of Scripture helps expose some of our Western ideas of sin and accountability. It deals with how we as the Western church often sweep sin under the rug. Now, we most likely won't deal with a situation such as this, but we still deal with egregious sins that transpire within the church. We Sometimes ignore them as was ignored in the church at Corinth. The first thing that we see Paul stating to the church in order to deal with crazy Christians is this that we are to mourn over sin, do not celebrate it. We are to mourn over sin, do not celebrate it. As he exposes what was happening within the church, he says, Shouldn't you be mourning? Shouldn't this break your heart? Shouldn't this be one of those things that causes anguish within you? That you should go and say, how have we fallen so far that this is something that transpires and no one says anything about it? He says we should mourn over sin. When you and I, when we sin, we should be grieved within our hearts as the Holy Spirit brings a rebuke to our our hearts and our soul. That we should be open to the Lord's rebuke, open to the Lord's encouragement to walk away from the sin which so entangles us. Even as believers, we can allow ourselves to be trapped by sin. And he says we don't need to be trapped by sin. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. Why are you allowing this to happen? You're not mourning it like you should. There was a sense, sadly, of celebration of this. We need to understand the context of this situation. And that's why it's a mature theme. Paul says in this letter, remember, this letter would have been read to the church. He says, there is a man who is sleeping with his stepmom. And you're okay with it. You're okay with this sin. It's not something that was hidden. It was something that was outside that everyone in the church knew. The verb that says has where it says in a kind that they're not even tolerated for a man has his father's wife. This is sexual immorality, but it's also something that was happening on a regular basis. It was not one of those one adulterous affair things. It was, hey, this is my woman now. And they would go to church holding hands. They would probably kiss in the foyer. And no one was doing anything about it. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. Here he gets in their faces. He says, listen, this isn't even tolerated among pagans. Forget about being a church. Forget about being a believer. This isn't even tolerated in the culture. What is wrong with you as a church? Why are you allowing this to happen? This should not be celebrated. This should be mourned over. And then he he says something interesting in the passage. He says, you're arrogant. Why would they be arrogant about this? This would would cause a, a, a reader who's looking through this passage, when you come to something like this, you have to ask the questions. Why would they be arrogant? They're not mourning, but he's saying that they're arrogant, that they're prideful that this is happening in their church. What? How is this real? I don't know about you, this blows my mind. And here's what he's saying, if you were to look into the commentaries and you were to look into the Greek language of what he's saying about arrogance is that they are celebrating that their church among believers, remember this is about believers, not unbelievers, they're celebrating their open-mindedness. Like, wow, we're open to so many things, God's grace is so big. You know, well yeah, okay, they're they're doing something a little different, but God's grace. Oh, God's grace. We celebrate God's grace because even them, they're getting God's grace. Have you heard this type of scenario in the American church? I have. I have. Where there is sexual sin, where there's adulterous affairs and someone is is getting up front and saying, "Oh, but God's grace lets me do this." that's heresy. That's not true. God's grace is powerful. God's grace is amazing that when we confess and repent of our sins, his grace is forgiveness. His grace is not to be abused to say, I can do whatever I want to do and receive God's grace. This was a cultural issue. Outside of the church, these folks who have been saved, they came into the church and they brought their cultural baggage and their cultural lies within it because in a city that was Greco-Roman like Corinthians, like the, the city of Corinth, there was a celebration of all kinds of sin that they could do whatever they wanted in their body and it wouldn't affect their souls. And here this, this belief of the culture leaked into the church itself. He challenges them, do not celebrate this. If I were Paul, and I'm sure that as he's writing this, he was probably weeping. He was probably mourning what he had to write. That this was even something that was happening in the church of Jesus Christ. And so as he's weeping, he's like, you should weep too. You should weep too. Because... Sin brings death, not life. Confession brings light to our darkness. My friends, if we're living in perpetual sin in our lives and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to bring rebuke, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to cause us to confess and repent and turn away from that sin, we are just as bad as this stepson with his stepmom. That's a huge statement, but it's exactly what's happening. Any sin that we allow to just continue to grow in our lives and we put it in the darkness. I don't know if you know anything about mushrooms, but mushrooms love the darkness. They grow in darkness. Sin is the same way. It grows in darkness. It grows in hiddenness, and eventually it will overtake everything that you do in life. We are just as bad. As the man who is sleeping with his stepmom. We need to confess. We need to repent. Again, I say the situation exposes some of the Western church's thought on sin. This idea of being so open minded to God's grace hinders us from really understanding grace. Fear of being closed minded will dull our senses to the consequences of sin. Fear of being closed-minded will dull our senses to the consequences of sin. We do live in a culture, both in and outside of the church, that says, if you call sin, sin, you're a little closed-minded. You're a little wacky. Why would you call that? That's... Live your life. YOLO. You only live once, man. Go after it. Do what makes you happy. Man, if everybody literally did what made them happy, this world would be even a greater mess than it is now. If there weren't consequences like going to jail, if there weren't consequences you know, like death for something that we love to go after, that people would maybe do more things that they'd want to do. But as believers, man, we can't just do whatever we want to do or do whatever makes us happy. We have to follow the word of Jesus Christ, follow the word of God. That's why we have to read the entirety of Scripture, not just passages that make us feel good. And even some of those passages that make us feel good, right? I have a plan and a purpose for you to prosper you and all those things. We use that passage in a wrong way. Isaiah is talking to a people who, for 70 years, are trapped. And he says, I have a purpose and a plan for you. Even though you are trapped in this moment, I'm still going to use you for my purpose. I'm still going to use you to bless the world. I know that might seem crazy and bonkers, that you are trapped in a place that is continuously pushing you down. But we use this this passage wrongly. And we need to really... Get back to what does the Word say? What does the Word mean? We have to be people who follow the Word of God. Amen? And we need the Holy Spirit to help us do this. We can't be so open-minded that we allow sin to creep into our lives and into the lives of other believers. So we see this idea that we should mourn over sin, not celebrate it. And then Paul gives us an image of what this looks like. How do we deal with crazy Christians? We are to hold others accountable to their sin, don't ignore it. Hold others accountable to their sin and don't ignore it. Now this has to come from a place of love. Not this religious domineering where you're happy to point out other people's stuff. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 7 and in Matthew 18. He challenges us on how we are to judge one another, how we are to call one another out. And he says, first, deal with your own stuff. Because guess what? You got your own stuff. Guess what? You're wrestling and dealing with stuff. And it's a, a whole lot easier to point at someone else and be like, man, you got some shit in your life, bro than to allow the Holy Spirit to talk about your own sin. So we must be people who are dealing with our own sin. But if we love our brother and we love our sister, we are to hold them accountable. Like with this this situation in particular, with the stepson and the stepmom, this again, like I said, was not hidden. It was out there. Everybody knew. If this dude had Twitter, he'd be like, my stepmom's now my woman. (laughs) Ha ha! it wasn't hidden. It was out there. And no one was doing anything. There should have been a moment of holding him accountable. And Paul does that in the letter. Remember, this is being read to the entire church. Everyone knows who this couple is. Everyone knows. And he's like, kick them out of the church right now. If they're not going to repent, if they're not going to change, if they're not going to move away from this, kick them out. Whoa. Imagine that everyone knows your own sin and Paul wrote a letter to our church and someone's reading out loud and it's like, you need to get Jim and Jane out of the church right now. You'd be a little embarrassed. You'd be a little, you'd probably run out. <laughs> but here Paul is challenging them to hold this couple accountable. Well, oh, this is a really fun passage, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love preaching this message. Jesus gives us very specific views on how we are to judge with love. Where we first come to the person and challenge them with their sin. And if they do not repent, we bring another brother or sister with us to lovingly challenge them on their sin. And if they don't confess and repent, then we bring the elders of the church. And if they are not repenting or confessing of their sin, we are to do church discipline and ask them to leave the church Until they confess and repent of their sin. Sin is serious. Sin brings death. Sin is not something that we should embrace in our lives, but mourn over in our lives. And we are called to hold one another accountable. Now, one of the most important things I always tell couples when I'm doing couples uh, counseling or I always talk about this in premarital counseling. When you have to confront one another as a couple, because you do, I I do way stupid things that I am so glad, not in the moment, but I'm so glad that Hillary calls me out. Because it's it's not fun, but it's necessary. She's like, dude, you're off. You're off base. I want to defend myself, and I want to, you know, be like, no, well, you're off base. (laughs) But no, we need to challenge one another. I always say to couples, the most important thing when you're talking to one another about an issue is timing and tone, right? Timing and tone. You could be riding in the car to go somewhere, and you could all be stressed, and that's when you use the timing to say, you're a mess. Not good timing. Right, And then there's a tone where you could say, honey, I'm really concerned about what you're doing in this scenario. Or you could be like, you're such a mess, I can't believe you do this. That's bad tone. When we call one another out, and we hold each other accountable, we need to utilize the proper timing and the proper tone, and only the Holy Spirit can give us those two things. Only the Holy Spirit can give you that with your spouse. How often, when your spouse is off base, do you pray and say, Lord, help me find the timing and the tone? Or how often do you live in flesh and you're like, Oh, I'm going to get them today. That's the wrong attitude. With our brothers and sisters, and especially with your spouse, because you might be sleeping on the couch that night. Hold each other accountable. Because as Christians, we are called to challenge each other's conduct in a loving manner. Manner. Now, he goes on to say, if this person does not confess, if this person does not repent, then you need to kick them out because they, in their toxic sin, will hinder the rest of the church. If they're allowed to remain and continue in their sin that everybody knows about, they will hurt the church. They will cause pain. And they will be one of those people where they cause their brother to stumble. Because if, if Jim and Janet can do it, well, you know, Bobby can do it. Like, oh, wow, he's okay with it. Everyone's like, oh, we're open-minded. I'm about to do the same thing. See, that, that ruins, literally ruins a community of faith. It ruins it. It does not help. When we sin, we too need to be accountable. We need to embrace accountability. We should be asking our brothers and sisters this question, do you see any sin in my life that needs to be dealt with? And do not be defensive when they point something out, because 90% of the time, You probably have something that they need to talk to you about. And if it's your spouse you're asking that question to, you already know the answer. And they're going to say yes. We need to hold one another accountable. But we also need to embrace accountability. Because accountability that leads to repentance is vital for the believer. Accountability that leads to repentance is vital for the believer. You might not believe this about yourself, but you have blind spots to yourself. You have blind spots to your sin. You have blind spots to the issues that are in your life. You have blind spots. We all have them, and we need people to hold us accountable. We all need this. One commentator says that Paul's goal is to recall and redirect the Corinthians into a manner of life that embodies the f- and fulfills God's commission of the Christian community to mission. We're called to be on mission. When we get stuck in our sin and we allow things to transpire in our lives and in the lives of others, it ruins, it ruins mission. We're called to mission. We're called to go, to pray, to send. It ruins mission. This is why he utilizes the idea of leaven. Now, I'm not like the greatest cooker, but uh, my wife, she can bake some really good stuff and she makes some really good bread. And when you make bread, if you don't put leaven in it, it's just like this really flat thing that's hard and crispy and it's like, why are we eating this? But when you put leaven in it, it, it gets really big and fluffy and that's good bread. But you only need a little bit of leaven. If you put too much in it, you have a giant ball of dough. Now, some kids, you like dough like I do, and you would just eat that thing up. But it, it'll blow it up. And he's saying, listen, if you allow the leaven of sin to go into your church, if you allow the leaven of sin to grow in your life, it will blow it up. It's a promise. Not a fun promise, but a true promise nonetheless. Christ died to set us free from sin, not to set us free from to sin, We are to be set free from sin. He goes on, this commentator, to say, If Christ is the lamb and the yeast is immorality, those celebrating Christ are to free themselves by the power of God of malice and wickedness and to devote themselves to sincerity and truth. Everyone in this room, tell me what is the book of truth? Come on, talk out loud. What's the book of truth? The Bible. We are to live in sincerity and in truth. We need the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit of God. We can ask the Spirit of God this question. Cleanse out the old leaven so that we can become a new lump of dough. I challenge you this morning to deal with the sin in your life. If you know you have leaven that is blowing up your dough, ask the Holy Spirit of God to remove that leaven, to bring you to a beautiful, tasty, warm piece of bread. And if you're gluten-free, pray for the gluten-free kind. It's important and imperative that we do this. And if you have a brother or sister that you know is stumbling, pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, give me the right timing and the right tone to challenge them. Proverbs, as we saw in that one passage that I gave you on calling each other accountable, is a very powerful passage of scripture. It says that we are to have faithful wounds from our friends. Wounds that are faithful are the right timing, the right tone, sincere truth to one another to challenge us and to grow us because accountability that leads to repentance is vital for the believer let's pray father i thank you for the word of god even though sometimes it's difficult sometimes it's rough sometimes it's very mature for us to look at and deal with i pray holy spirit that you will encourage us bless us and strengthen us as believers and as a body, in your name, amen.